Okay, the reading is taken from Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 17. It's called The Rich and the Kingdom of God. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud and honour your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked round and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With human beings, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Sarah. Well, good morning, and it's lovely uh, to see so many of you here today and to have this opportunity to come before God's word together. Now, I think one of the challenges of a passage like this is that I'm going to guess that probably right now, approximately 80% of you or so are probably asking yourself the question, what is the relevance of this to me? We live in tough times. The cost of the living is high. Employment is difficult in many situations. I think there's probably quite few of us this morning that would self-identify as rich. And even if you are privileged to be in a comfortable position this morning, you're probably thinking, you know, I filled in one of those orange pledge cards, um, my giving's up to date, and there's nothing more to do there. So just before you slip into a Sunday morning cosy daydream for the next few minutes, I'm going to ask you to hang with me. As I've been thinking about this passage, it's really humbled me, and I think there's a lot here for all of us to learn A lot for those of us who are exploring the Christian faith, for those of us who are working through its challenges, and for those of us today who are just feeling that the cost is maybe just a little bit too high. My prayer this morning is that God will speak to each one of us here through this passage, and that he will open our eyes to understand more of what it knows, what it means to walk with Christ. So we're going to look at the the passage and we're going to explore it from three angles. We're going to look at the young man as he approaches Jesus. 
We're going to look at how Jesus responds, and then we're going to look at the reaction of the disciples. But before we do that, let me just set the scene again. This story, this account, um, is told in all three of the synoptic gospels, so in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And as we piece together the details from the different accounts, we know that this man is not just rich, he is incredibly wealthy. We know from Matthew's gospel that he's young. We know from Luke's gospel that he's powerful. He's some kind of ruler in society. And we see from our passage that he's respectable. He keeps the commands. He's an upright figure in the community. This guy has it all, but not quite. Despite all of his worldly wealth, there's something missing, and he knows that. That is why he runs up to Jesus and gets down on his knees before him. The question he brings is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We see in our passage a brief dialogue between Jesus and this rich young man, at the end of which he walks away sad. Jesus calls him to follow him, but that proves too hard. And he walks away still carrying within him that sense of emptiness. So let's unpack what's going on here and look first at this rich young man. He's exploring the faith, and we have to say he's doing it very respectfully, he's doing it very sincerely. But he sets off in slightly the wrong direction in two important ways. He doesn't fully understand who he's talking to, and he overestimates his own achievements and abilities. We see that as he approaches Jesus here, he calls him good teacher. But as Jesus points out, there's only one who is good, and that's God alone. Jesus demonstrates the perfect standards that are required to enter God's presence, and he does that using the Ten Commandments. And you might notice here that he uses the commandments from the second tablet of stone. These are the commandments that talk more about how we interact with other people, our parents, our spouse, in our business dealings. We notice that the first commandments aren't mentioned here. Those are the ones that talk about how we relate to God, and they're conspicuous in their absence. We see here that the rich man approaches Jesus as if he is a respected mentor. He doesn't approach him as if he is his Lord and God to be honored above all other things. The second flaw that we see in this man's mindset is that he overestimates his own ability to assure that he can get into heaven. As a result of that, he, the question he asks is actually fundamentally the wrong question. What do I need to do? As Joe mentioned, I've worked in the city for, for many years, and I think this conversation that we see here is very typical of the kind of confidence that comes with wealth. This man's a winner. He's used to receiving outstanding ratings. He performs well, and he sees the benefits. He's up for a challenge, 
and he backs himself to succeed. We see he doesn't hesitate to demonstrate how strong his values are. He's kept these commandments since he was a small boy. There's a tremendous confidence here in his own ability. And isn't it so easy for us to allow our money to give us a sense of self-sufficiency? Have you ever gone away on holiday and as you, as you shut the door, you think to yourself, well, I may have forgotten something, but I've got my credit card and I've got my phone, so I'll figure it out. How different does it feel when you're off the beaten track where the credit card and the phone don't count? This story comes just after a previous passage where Jesus welcomes young children into the kingdom of heaven because they display a trusting dependence on God. And there's a great contrast here between that trusting dependence of a child and this self-sufficiency of the rich young man. One of the joys of my life is that I'm an aunt. I have a, a niece and a nephew. And one of the things I quite enjoy about being an aunt is that the ultimate responsibility doesn't stop with you. You can kind of be a figure of fun. And I recall one time when I was with my niece, she was quite young at the time, and we were going somewhere that she'd never been before to do an activity that she'd never done. And she pulled me aside at the beginning of the day and she said to me, Auntie Catherine, please will you look after me today? You know, clearly this complete joker needed a briefing. I needed to know that she was completely dependent on me that day. Jesus' words just prior to our passage are this, truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. The mistake the rich man makes here is that he relies on what he can do rather than depending on what God has done for him. Through his own efforts, this rich young man can never be good enough to inherit eternal life. And it's only as we accept our failings and rely on God's forgiveness in childlike dependence that we can enter his presence. So let's uh, move on and have a look at how Jesus responds to this rich young man. And we see that he, he plays along with him for a little while and talks to him about what it would actually mean for him to enter the kingdom of heaven based on his own merit. And to satisfy God's perfect standards, it would require something as radical as giving up all of his wealth. It's a famous saying, isn't it? that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. That would have had a strong resonance in first century Judea. Perhaps for us, particularly this week, when we've had to drag out again our, our scarves and our, our hats, perhaps a more sort of similar and familiar phrase might be, you've got a snowball's chance. That might be the similar sort of phrase that we would use today, just to outline something that feels completely improbable. Now, Jesus isn't saying here that the rich don't belong in God's kingdom. He tells us, tells us that with God, that is possible. He's not saying that the rich have to sell everything they have, although clearly we are called to give 
generously and sacrificially. What Jesus is doing here is pinpointing the thing that matters most to this man. Indeed, the very thing that defines him. This story comes up in three of the Gospels, but we still don't know this man's name. His identity is so wrapped up in what he is. He is rich, he is young, he is powerful. And what Jesus is doing here is keyhole surgery to reach that spot that matters most to this man and to challenge him. Does that matter more to you than knowing me? Now, I don't know what that pressure point is for you. Maybe it is wealth. I think few of us like to admit it, but it's, it's nice to have good clothes, to go to good restaurants. It's nice not to have to worry about the bills at the end of the month. But depending on those things can become dangerous. Maybe for you it's more about having the ideal personal life and being popular. Maybe it's all about being creative and witty and unconventional. Or maybe it's physical. Your beauty and your strength are what really count. Jesus is digging down here to the very heart of who we perceive ourselves to be, our personal narrative, our very identity, and from that, therefore, the things that we value most. As he does that, two important things to note. In verse 21, we see that Jesus looked at this man and he loved him. Now, if you or I were in that situation, I guess we might be tempted to look at this man and think, when are you going to get over yourself? You don't even know you're born. But Jesus here looks at him and loves him. And maybe behind that look of love is the compassion of one rich young man for another. This is the look of one who knows just how hard it is to leave behind the riches of heaven and make himself nothing in order to bring us to God. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. The second point um, to note here again in verse 21 is that Jesus says to this man, sell everything you have and give to the poor. He's not just saying sell up. Sell up. He's not just sh saying show me the cash. It's not just tap the machine on the way out. It cuts a bit deeper than that. It's a call to sell and give. Yes, we're called to donate financially but we're also caused, called to pray and to follow that through with love. I know that many of us in the life groups have um, gained a lot personally, really, from coming along on a Tuesday as part of the rotor for Glass Door. At that point, you're not just listening to Pat with his flip chart talking about the vision for the church. At that point, if you're cooking, you're actually sitting down and talking and sharing with, these, with people who have no home. At that point, it becomes real. 
one of the things that's meant uh, a lot to me in my life is uh, having the opportunity to go out and engage in a few projects in Africa. I've been able to visit a couple of times um, an AIDS clinic that's part of a, a small bush hospital in, in Benin in West Africa. And as you sit and spend time with the nurses there, talk to some of the patients, suddenly a paper project becomes real. And one of the amazing things to me has been to see the way that God has used skills that I've learnt in the corporate world in a very, very different environment. The scope of our giving is far from just financial. And there are biblical examples of that, of people who use their riches in God's service. Think of Lydia in Acts chapter 16. She's a very successful businesswoman. She works in the luxury garment industry. She's based in Philippi. And we read that she opened her heart to the Lord and provided hospitality to Paul. As we come up to Easter, we'll read about Joseph, the member of the council in Luke 23, who takes Jesus' dead body and provides a tomb for it. As we find our true identity in Christ and allow ourselves to be molded in his image, it is transformational, not only for us, but as we serve God and are in tune with the work that he's called us to do. Isn't it humbling to think that if we were open to give a little bit more, how much more could God do? I want finally just to look at the reaction of the disciples here. We read in verse 24 that they're amazed. We read in verse 26 that they're even more amazed. And then finally Peter speaks up and he says, we've left everything to follow you. It's really countercultural to watch this conversation. In a Jewish understanding, if you led a good life, you would be blessed. And in our culture too, we often talk about making your own luck. We have an inherent belief that you'll get what you deserve at the end of the day. And it's quite incredible to see such a talented and capable, seemingly good young man unable to work his way into God's kingdom. Even the most gifted of us are entirely dependent on God's grace. Isn't it challenging too sometimes when we're making sacrifices for our faith to watch others who don't honour God seemingly showered with blessings? We can sense just a little whiff of fear, I think, in Peter's voice here. He's perhaps even a little bewildered. We've committed to you, Lord Jesus. Are you in this with us? And aren't there times when we are just acutely aware of the costs of following Christ? Maybe you're in that place of uncertainty this morning as you wonder what the Christian life really means for you going forward. Maybe the Christian service you engage with involves sacrificing time with your loved ones. Maybe it adds pressure to meeting work commitments, and you're wondering how on earth you're gonna keep all the balls in the air. Maybe you're asking this morning whether God is really calling you to a life of never-ending financial challenge, or is he really calling you to a life of loneliness without close relationship? Maybe as you look forward, it feels very daunting. 
I was able to have a couple of days um, of holiday last weekend and I went over to the Dolomites in Italy and did some skiing. And the resort I was in is a resort that hosted the Winter Olympics a few years ago and you can still ski down that slope. I think I probably had um, too many cappuccinos for breakfast but I decided I'm going to give it a go. So I went up and up and up in the lifts, I skied past the notice that said experienced skiers only and off I went. And it started okay, um, it wasn't pretty, but I was still upright. And then I noticed uh, ahead of me that people were hesitating and a few people had stopped. And as I approached, I realized why. And suddenly, you could no longer see the mountain going down ahead of you. There was just a ledge. And those of you that are skiers will know that when you hit those ledges, there's only one thing you can do, and that's to face down and trust your technique. We know that the Christian life is tough and sometimes it's very hard to see how God is going to lead us over that next ledge or round that next corner. We know too to expect persecutions. We see that in verse 30. But importantly here too, in verses 29 and 30, we see that it is God who is the source of all blessings. There is a promise here from Jesus that if we place him first in our lives, we will experience ample provision in this life of the things that we need. As we prioritize God's plans for us over family or business, and as we trust him with our future path, we can know that he will provide for us and prove himself faithful in each and every area of our lives. His provision will far exceed any plans that we could put together. Moreover, as we take up the call to follow Jesus, we will gain what the young man failed to achieve as God leads us through this life, through death and on into life eternal with him. There's an awful lot here in this passage to think about. We've been reminded this morning that being in very nature God, Jesus set aside his riches and went to the cross to do for us what we simply cannot achieve for ourselves. It's only as we depend on him for forgiveness that we can know what it is to inherit eternal life. We've seen how, in his perfect love, God longs to transform us into the image of Christ and to use our gifts for his purposes. The rich young man in our passage this morning encounters Jesus. He's invited to follow him. And yet he walks away sad. As we leave this place this morning... Will we be those who take hold of the love that Jesus has for us? As we bring all that we have before God, will we be those who walk with great joy as we follow him wherever that might lead us through this life and on into the next? 
We're just going to just take a, a few moments of quiet now just to reflect uh, on, these, on these words, on, on the passage that we're reading. And then we'll move into a, a time of worship. As we do go into that time of worship, can I just encourage you that if you would like to pray with someone, we would love to do that. Um, please just move to the, the sides of the church and there'll be someone to, to meet with you there and to pray if there's anything particular on your heart. But let's just bow our heads and, and have a moment of quiet. Quiet.